How y'all doing? You ever wonder about that question, whether people really want to know the answer? Sometimes the word's that way, too. Um, Grace and peace. This is a a message on grace and peace. Uh, And is grace and peace a throwaway line or a promise from God? So howdy. That's what the Aggies say. I'm a Texas A&M graduate. We thought about going to the Tax Slayer Bowl down in Jacksonville, but it's like a seven-hour drive down there. What, I mean, didn't that used to be called the Gator Bowl, right? What is this Tax Slayer Bowl? What is the deal with that? I mean, Judge helps people with their taxes, and we thought he might be, you know, in danger if he went down there at the Tax Slayer Bowl. But anyway, howdy, howdy. That's what the Aggies say. You know, when we say howdy on Texas A&M campus, uh, it's kind of like a Texas term for how you doing, but we really don't care what the answer is because everybody's all excited about, you know, their day. Howdy. And so I don't really care about your answer, but I'm really expecting you to say howdy back. And so, um, so that's the way the Aggies go. Uh, you know, I like to go to Moe's. You guys ever go to Moe's, the, the restaurant? Yeah, you know, Chipotle's really better food, isn't it? Yeah, but when you go into Moe's, they say what? Welcome to Moe's, right? So it makes you feel all welcome when you go in there. And Joy doesn't like to go in there with me because when I'm leaving, I'll go, goodbye to Moe's. <laughs> and then the staff, they'll look at me kind of strange, but they appreciate that. My son, he, uh, he went to Taiwan for a year and picked up a little bit of Mandarin when he was there. Uh, he was a missionary in Taiwan for a year. And what he tells me is, is that it's hard to learn Mandarin. It's a hard language because uh, first you have to understand the culture of the Chinese, right? And so when they say hello, the, the direct translation is really, uh, you good. But if you were to ask someone from China here that would come in and maybe be first in our country and say, how are you doing? They might say, well, I'm feeling rather sad today. And so what happens in that kind of a culture is, is that they really are looking for an answer. In North Carolina, when we moved there, um, I like the way they say hello there. I say, how you doing? And then maybe you guys have adopted this here in Georgia. The response is, I'm doing fine. I hope you are as well. And that feels a little bit more genuine to me. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk a little bit about grace and peace, whether it's a throwaway line or a promise from God. Oops, that's backwards. Okay. Yeah, okay. Here we go. So, um, when I have uh, looked at Scripture in the last three years, I've been looking at a, at a large, large blocks of Scripture, and this morning I felt impressed that I might bring you a word from the Lord from Ephesians 1. And if you look at uh, God's, uh, God's Word, uh, Paul has 14 letters that he wrote to us, maybe 15 if you believe he wrote Hebrews, and he says grace and peace in all of those 14, all those 14 letters. And so do you ever get to parts of the word where you just kind of go through it and you don't really read it, you don't really understand it, you don't really believe that there's some real substance to that? So what I want to do is I want to read you Ephesians 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he's already establishing his, uh, his authority. I'm an apostle. I've met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And I'm writing by the will of God. 
What an amazing statement, right? By the will of God, I'm writing this, this letter to you at the Ephesians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I look at, uh, when I look at these large blocks of Scripture, I wonder whether we understand really what grace is. And I'm going to read you the next 12 verses of Ephesians. It's fairly, actually a fairly complex set of Scripture. Uh, but what I want you to do is I want, I'm going to outline it for you, actually, because uh, when I'm memorizing Scripture, and I'm doing the best I can to measure, memorize these first 12 verses, um, I, I like to look at key parts of that verse so that I better understand it. And so here's the outline of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. In grace, God blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And that word blessed, that verb there, really means to give favor to. He gives us favor with every spiritual blessing. He chose us to be holy and blameless, and the word actually says, before the foundation of all time. He predestined us for adoption as sons. He graced us in the beloved, or the Jesus, in the anointed one. He redeemed us with his blood. He forgave us our trespasses. He made known to us Christ, the mystery before time ever began. He obtained for us an inheritance and he sealed us in the Holy Spirit. So if I were to read these, these verses to you now with that outline in mind, I want you to see that I, what I've done is I've outlined those key parts of the verse so that you might better understand it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us, and actually the, word, the verb there is graced us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the, pro the purpose he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite us in all things in heaven and in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ, in him... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Lord, I just pray now that as we open your word, that we, this is a complicated, long sentence between Ephesians 3 and 14, that you show us your grace in this, Lord, that you show us how you have graced us with your presence, with your promises, and with what you do, in Jesus' name. So I have, uh, as, as I sat and looked at this scripture and I was praying about what to bring to you guys this morning, I realized that you could teach an entire seminary class on these 12 verses. And I'm only here for today, right? And Travis is the guy that's going to bring you the word for the balance of the year or whoever he invites to have the pulpit. But uh, I realized that these verses can be summarized in, in several points. And so I've got five points of grace that I'm going to bring you this morning from the Word. The first is that grace is in God's character. In Isaiah 30, uh, 30, 18, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. 
He rises to show you compassion. You know that God wants to bless us. He doesn't want us in suffering. He doesn't want us in, uh, in, to, to feel that, uh, that we're, not, we're apart from him. He desires to give us a blessing in our lives. And so in these, in these first few verses, it says he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us to be holy and blameless before time ever began. And he predestined for adoption as sons. Isn't that kind? That he knew your name before time ever began. When he created the world, he knew that Randall Baker would be here on this earth needing his grace. It's an amazing concept, really. And God's kindness toward us. Grace is a verb. Um, actually, there's no translation in English for grace. I mean, we, we use grace, but the verb itself uh, is a, uh, a verb that comes from Hanan in the Hebrew. And when you look at Psalms and you compare that verb Hanan in Psalms, this is the Hebrew um, verb, it, uh, it could be said, uh, if you look at those verbs, it, it comes against other verbs that say to help, to heal, to rise up, to raise up, to give refuge, to give strength. So summarized, to grace really means to provide protection. Matter of fact, one of the, uh, one of the Hebrew nouns is, uh, is the camp, and it uses the word Hanan in it. Uh, and so when you go to God's camp and when you're in his refuge, that is what it means to be in God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Now, this was the definition that I learned when I was first a believer. How many of you guys heard this for the first, for when you, yeah, it's unmerited favor. It means that you have, you're, you're totally deprived, right? You have nothing in and of yourself to deserve the grace of God. So it's unmerited. But the favor of God is really in his salvation first. You know that we, uh, we have sin in our lives, right? When I was, uh, when I teach three, four, and five-year-old Sunday school, we, uh, we say sin is like your thumb down. So all you guys put out your thumb, your thumbs like this and go, sin, sin. That's the way we talk about when I'm with a three, four, and five-year-olds. We sin. And sin is to miss the mark. The, the, uh, the Hebrew word is um, kata. And what it means is, is if you're on a road and you're walking down the road and you have a choice to make either the right or the left, and God asks you to go to the right and you go to the left, that's sin. Or maybe it's like taking a sling and throwing a rock and missing the mark. That's a concept that's in the Old Testament of missing the mark. Uh, it's like taking an arrow and shooting it at a target and missing the target. That's sin. So it's like missed, a missed objective. Well, what's our objective? Our objective is, is to be holy and blameless before God. So what sin does is it separates us from God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. So we all are deprived in and of ourselves. We don't have the ability to be able to be close to God because the sin that we have separates us from God. So the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So we know that we're separated from God because of that sin. 
And it doesn't seem fair because we all have this, this legacy of sin that's in our lives, but God has a provision for us. What happens is, is he forgave us of our trespasses. The word trespass means to break the contract. Our contract with God is, is that we want to be holy and blameless before him. And when we break that contract, he forgave us of that contract. Well, how did he do that? Well, what he did is, is he redeemed us with his blood. So we celebrate God's forgiveness now in the Christmas season, right? He came to earth. He became a baby. He lived a sinless life. And then he didn't regard equality with God a thing, a thing to be grasped. But he came to earth and decided that he would live among us, live a sinless life. And then the most amazing thing is, is he died on the cross for us. And so all of that sin, every sin that we ever committed, ever will commit, he died for that. And that's the gospel message. And so when he died for that, what he did is, is he took upon himself the sin that, uh, that we had, we've created in our lives and we took it upon ourselves, upon himself. And so in that, he obtained an inheritance for us. As we prayed before the service in the morning, I mean, uh, earlier this morning, we were thinking about the inheritance that, uh, that we have in, in Jesus. Uh, in John 10.10, 10, it says that I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That abundant life is for today, right? It starts today, but when does it end? Never. So we have this abundance that goes on, and we look forward to an eternity in heaven where there is no sin, there is no suffering, there is no separation from God. We're perfectly united with him. And so grace is unmerited favor. Grace is also experienced. It says in the word that he sealed us in the Holy Spirit. John 16, when Jesus is talking about leaving, it's after his uh, discourse in the upper room where he's already taken communion or already offered communion for the, for the disciples. He says that the Holy Spirit will lead you in all truth. That word truth is an experiential truth. If you look at the word, many times it has, like I have a head knowledge, right, of things. But truth, the truth the Holy Spirit brings you is an experiential truth. How many of you guys have played this game, the, uh, the uh, what is it called, uh, something of Catan? I just played it. The Settlers of Catan. How many of you guys have played that? Settlers of Catan. How many of you guys understood the rules when you first got that? The Settlers of Catan. I had no idea. My family is like, they lay this board out in front of me, and they start laying out, okay, this is how you build a road, this is how you build a city, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's just play the game, and I'll experience the game, and then I'll understand the rules. Well, that's the way God works. We have the Bible. We have the word of God. And that's great. But I'm telling you, you understand grace when you've experienced grace. Now, let me give you an example. The other day I was, uh, actually I was talking to you, Travis, on a Saturday morning. But I, what I'd forgotten is, is that I was supposed to be with uh, my men's group, we had promised to be at a men's breakfast, and it was about 9.30 in the morning, and I'd, been, I'd gotten up late that morning, and I was praying for Travis and other people, and normally what'll happen when I pray for people is I'll text them, and I'll say, I'm praying for you. So I texted the chair of our elder board, and I texted uh, uh, one of our executive pastor and said, I'm praying for you, and they'd gotten back to me and said, well, thank you very much. And then I realized in the middle, this, the middle of this conversation with Travis that I was supposed to be at church. <laughs> and I'd already texted these people saying, I'm praying for you. 
And they'd gotten back to me, but it was kind of like these short little answers, like, oh, thanks, you know. And then I realized, shoot, I promised that I was going to be there. So got dressed as quick as I could and went to church. It was about 10 o'clock. I walked in. They were just breaking up, actually. And uh, I went to the guys. And, of course, you, you can't get away from that because you've already texted them, right? <laughs> the guy, actually, that was teaching the session, I had texted him in the, middle of his, in the middle of his teaching. And he said, there's grace. There's grace for you because you just forgot. In the same way, when we've really screwed up, we experience the grace of God by his spirit. We know it deep in our hearts. So grace is experienced, is experiencing it. Philippians 4 says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to be brought low and know how to abound. You know that that verb, to learn, I have learned and I know. Those are two different verbs. One is an experiential knowledge, I know. And one is a head knowledge, I've learned. And so what happens is, is that the, is the walk with God is about walking with God in his grace. So God's grace meets our greatest need. When you believe that God's grace is unmerited favor, that's just the foundation for grace. What happens is there's so much more to God's grace than just salvation. And I'm not saying that's not important. It is the foundation for everything we believe. How many of you guys in Luke have heard the story about this, this season about Zechariah and Elizabeth and having a baby, John the Baptist? How many heard that while they were in this season? Zechariah was a priest who, uh, and, and his wife Elizabeth, had no child. And, and in that tradition, in the Jewish tradition, if you didn't have a child, you were disgraced. It's a grace and honor society. And they had prayed to have a child, but Elizabeth had already grown too old, at least in, in uh, human terms, to have a child. And Zachariah's group of priests were called to, uh, to offer incense in the, in, the, um, in the Holy of Holies. And so he had gone in with the concept that uh, he'll go in and offer incense. And what, what happened in that time frame is, is, that, is that people were praying for God to have um, for a Messiah, praying for God's Messiah. So Zachariah is in there offering his incense, and who shows up but Gabriel. And he says, you're going to be favored with a son. Now his son's name was going to be John. Now what's interesting is my name is John, my father's name is John, and my son's name is John. We're praying for a generational blessing in our family that's going to go on down. As a matter of fact, Travis, when we prayed, we prayed for that generational blessing uh, of the future of the Baker family, the Johnson family, the Jeffries family, all of the families that make up our, our lineage that to many generations that we would be blessing God in, in our service. And what John means is Yohanan, the same verb, Hanan, Yohanan, or God is gracious. And so what happened is, is the angel looked at Zechariah and he said, you'll have a son and you'll name him God is gracious. But what did he do? He screwed up, right? You guys know what happened? He didn't think about, okay, that, you know, he knew the stories that God had parted the Red Sea, given manna to the, to the Israelites when they needed food, that he had 
uh, created many, many miracles. He knew that. He knew all those stories because he was a priest. But yet he asked the question, how could this be? I, my wife is too old. And so what did Gabriel do? He listened to the Lord and he said, okay, you're going to be mute until such time. Well, he said, you're just going to be mute. He didn't give him a promise on when he would speak again. And so all the people were waiting outside in the, in the temple. And uh, Zechariah walked out. And normally what he would do is he would issue a priestly blessing when he came back out. The God is gracious to you. Let his, let his light shine upon you. Maybe the ironic blessing. But he wasn't able to do that because he walked out and he, and he couldn't speak. And so the people knew that there had been a miracle. Somehow Elizabeth got the idea of what had happened in that next nine months while the child was growing in, in her. And uh, so John was born but didn't have a name. And in that tradition, what they would do is they would take the child to be circumcised and they would name the child at the circumcision. And so what happened is, is that Zachariah was there but couldn't speak. So they asked Elizabeth, what's the name of the child? And Elizabeth said, what? His name will be John. Well, they didn't believe him because John wasn't in the family name of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It wasn't a family name. And typically in the, in the Jewish tradition, what they would do is they would name a child uh, after a name that was in the family. And so they looked at uh, Zechariah and they said, okay, who do you, what do you want us to name your child? And he asked for a tablet and he wrote on it, his name will be John. God is gracious. So he was able to offer the ironic blessing to the people at that time. And then what happened? He was given speech. And so when we look at our greatest need, they thought their greatest need was to have an heir. But yet they were given the promise that they would be given a son. And that son would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He would be able to herald the coming Messiah. What an amazing blessing. And so God had a purpose in their life where they felt like he was not showing favor to them. In essence, what happened he was doing, he was showing them great favor. Some of you this morning have your greatest need unmet. And God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose in that struggle. And so maybe your greatest need is that you just need to know him and that you need to be saved, that you need to be the, the, the eternal separation that you've got needs to be ended. You need to say, Lord, please come and save me. Please come and take over my life. Maybe that's your greatest need. Or maybe your greatest need is, is that you're sick. Or your greatest need is, is that you need provision. God knows you have a need. And so when the Bible says, grace to you and peace, that's not a throwaway line. That's a line from the Lord saying that you should have grace and experience grace for you today. And so that's my word for you today. Do you want me to pray for you? So Lord, I just pray this morning that uh, as we come before you, uh, that we would search our hearts right now to know what our greatest needs are. And Father, you've said that you would come, that we would have life, more than just physical life, breathing life, but we would have an abundant life. 
And so, Lord, right now I pray, God, that as we search our hearts for what it is our greatest need, that that we would know that in our hearts that you are going to meet that need, that your grace is sufficient for us in that greatest need. And so, Lord, give us the confidence and the faith to know that. Father, I know that that, uh, when we think about our faith, our faith is an experiential faith. It's like when we look at a, a chair and we... And we say, well, that chair hold us up. And okay, in our mind, we know, yeah, it will. But until we sit in that chair, that's not really an experience. And so, Lord, I pray that we would understand our faith to be one where we would already know that you have your provision for us now. That we would be able to sit in that chair, that knowing that, that you are doing for us already what our greatest needs are. And so this morning, in this time, I mean, there might be people here in this, uh, in this congregation that have never met you. Their greatest need is to be reconciled to their sin, to be able to understand that your blood was shed for them personally. And so, Lord, I pray that in this time that, uh, that they could uh, know that, uh, that they can call upon you and be, and be saved. There might be those of us in this congregation that, uh, that need uh, physical healing. And so, Lord, I, I know that at least in heaven we'll be healed, but I pray on earth that you would bring heaven on earth. Um, as you've said in your model prayer, that heaven would come to earth and, and offer healing to those that need your physical healing in our bodies. If there are those of us that need provision for our, for our jobs, maybe there's some that are looking for a job or in a job transition, I pray, God, that you would be uh, in, that, in that need right now. For those of us that would be looking for um, uh, someone in their lives that would be their husband or wife, that they feel like that would be their greatest need, I pray, Lord, that you would already know that they would already know that that you have provision for them uh, in that if if that's what you have for them outside of singleness. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, whatever our greatest needs are, that God, that you would meet us in those needs. Uh, that, uh, that, we, that we would understand that you are a God who provides. In Jesus' name.